0: Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and
1: other resources, visit globalriver.org.
0: We're going to be sharing with you guys over the next few weeks about the Book of Romans, where the Lord's been taking us. It really is a Holy Spirit-led study. Um... There's a lot of history in Romans. There's a lot of, uh, um, it's it's a book of freedom for me. When I read it for the first time, it really set me free from what I thought was Christianity. It set me free from what I thought I was supposed to do and who I was supposed to be. It set me free of what everyone else around me was telling me was the right thing and the good thing. I was set free from the word, the truth, and it was revealed to me through Holy Spirit. So Amen. anytime, I'm just going to say this, anytime you do dive into scripture or anytime you do dive into the word or you're trying to find out the truth, always seek Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to you because the spiritual things, you can only understand them in a spirit. So... Do you have something? No? So, we're going to talk about Romans. And we talked about, um, last time I spoke with you guys, we went over the book of Jude, and we started with the the audience, who the letter was written to. So, I feel like we really need to stick with that pattern. It really opens up the concepts that are being portrayed, why they're being portrayed, why he's saying the things, how he's saying them, because we're going to understand who he's saying them to and how we relate to those same people. So this study, I'm really hoping it's going to be an interactive study. Um, Please feel free, raise your hand, speak out if you have questions or if you have comments, because we're going to be spending a lot of time together over the next several weeks. So we need to get comfortable with each other, be able to share what Holy Spirit's revealing to you or what questions you may have or concerns you may have. And so I really want to encourage you to be a part of this study. If you want, read ahead or just in the moment. I know sometimes I read something and I instantly I am like, wait, what did that just say? feel free to speak that out, it's okay. This is a study environment where we can all work and learn together.
2: Especially because there's so much in Romans. There's so much and there's so many different things that we could glean from and we could be here all year if we did that. So we're just pulling out what the Holy Spirit is leading us in but there's a plethora of other tidbits to pull out. So if something is inspiring you that you want to share, you have questions about, or that you discovered, please, because we can't, we can't cover it all. Um, so we're just... Well, yeah.
0: we have an open-ended calendar, so we might be able to cover it all. We might be able to. All right, so this is a letter that Paul wrote to the um, body of Christ in Romans. Now, when he wrote this letter, he had not been to Rome. He had not met the, he had met a few of them, but he didn't, had, had never been there as a missionary or as a teacher. And actually, the body of Christ in Rome came about organically. From my studies, there is not a single apostle or anyone related to, to the gospel message that actually came and brought it to Rome. Rome was a hotspot. It was, it was a million people in Rome. That was a lot of people for that time frame. We're talking about the first century around between 50 and 60 AD. So this is a couple of decades, you know, 20 years after Christ, but there's still so many people. Rome, Alexandria, Antioch, corinth these are all the main hotspots of civilization at the time so you have uh, this roman culture and you have these jewish immigrants who most of them came into rome as slaves and they were freed slaves so they were able to practice their religion go to synagogue have their um, festivals Observed the Sabbath, but they were they were basically freed slaves. The majority of them were freed slaves. Um, so in the in the origin of the church, you have at the time you have the libertines, which were the freed Jude slaves, but you also have what was known as the Hellenistic Jews. And the Hellenistic Jews were around for a couple hundred years. And what they were is they were Jews who adopted Greek culture as part of their own. So it was like they were compromising their faith and their beliefs with what was going on in human knowledge, in philosophy. The Greeks were the spearheading the philosophical breakthroughs. They were spearheading science. They were, bringing up, they were coming up with all these humanistic concepts. And so the Hellenistic Jews were adopting these into their faith. And you see that similar thing today in Christianity. You have this huge debate on the evangelical Christians who believe the Bible is true and everything it says is true. And you have the Christians who think it's, a good guideline and that maybe there are some inaccuracies you have Christians who believe in billions of years who believe, and they're starting to pull in these ideas from academia because they don't want to maybe they don't want to look foolish or they don't I'm not sure there reasoning behind it but that you'll see the same thing today you see Christians who are adopting human philosophies and human knowledge and it's it's being uh, it's compromising their foundation in the Bible. So that was what was happening during this time with the Hellenistic Jews, which, incidentally, made it easier for Gentiles to convert to this one God religion. Because the Gentiles were, or the people, they were pagans, they were uh, influenced by human knowledge. They were, they, they didn't have, they didn't have the the law or the relationship with God, the test the, the Old Testament, the contract with God, the circumcision. They didn't have any of these things. They were in the world. They were worldly, they were, some were even barbaric. Um, Paul has a lot of different names for them. But it was easier for them to go from this world view into this one God worldview in the Hellenistic Jewish sect or church. Now, this Hellenistic Jews eventually faded out and they didn't last very long. And it's, it's some historians believe that they basically faded into Christianity. Um, because they were more susceptible to something new. They were more susceptible to the idea that the Messiah did come, that there is something different happening, that there is a New Testament. So they were more susceptible to this concept because they weren't the law-driven, you know, um, traditional holding on to this, you know, centuries of of Jewish theology, they were already moving into a new direction. So a lot of historians, these are not Christian historians, but a lot of of, um, extra Bible sources um, believe that that that's what happened to the Hellenistic Jews was that they morphed into the early Christian church. So he's writing this letter to a church he's never been to, made up of Gentiles who converted to this Hellenistic Jewish faith, the Jews who agreed that Christ was the Messiah, and how those interact. Um, so there's, a, there's conflict, there's ideas of law that are still in place, there's ideas of freedom that are still in place, and these are, these are conflicting um, beliefs in the early church in Rome, they didn't have someone to come dictate to them the exact message. So they basically pieced it together themselves from sources through traveling from people. If we, uh, if you see in, in Acts chapter 18, it starts off with um, Paul meeting um, Priscilla and Aquila, who were from Rome. It says that he met them. They were both tent makers. They got along really well. So it, it kind of it kind of gives us the idea that a, a Priscilla and Aquila were believers because they linked so quickly together that they that there would have be, and we know unevenly yoked in business and in life is is not biblical. So if he was to if he was to yoke himself with them, then they had to have been believers. So we know that there were believers coming from Rome all the way to uh, Jerusalem. It's a long, it's a long journey. But with the Roman Empire, there were massive road systems. There was a postal system that could move a letter 500 miles in 24 hours. Which, if you think about it, that's pretty good for a, a you know. They don't even have steam engines. They have no. Concept of industry, or um, you know, they're they're barely working with the lever right now. So to get to get to a postal structure that can move 500 miles in a 24-hour period, there they must be um, news has to be traveling throughout the Mediterranean region. So the people that he's sending this to, the uh, the church, it's not. There, there are records, extra-biblical records of synagogues in Rome at the time. Um, they've found five specific synagogues mentioned in Rome. So the, church, the Jewish uh, synagogues were operating uh, in Rome. So this is going to be where you're going to... The Jews are going to be at synagogue at their regular occasions, and then they're going to be meeting in these um, small groups at home talking about this Messiah, so this is, so the Jewish population who are these uh, Christ-believing Jews are going to be alongside their Jewish brothers who aren't going to be maybe understanding that the Messiah is here. They're not grasping the, this concept of Christ on earth and resurrection during the day. And then at night, they're going to be um, coming together in these small churches. So the, the Christian church doesn't look like a church. like They don't have buildings. They're not gathering. The ones who believe in Christ are, are most likely in these small home groups. And they're also involved in synagogue as well. So in the late 40, I think it was around 47 AD, it was uh, 41 AD. At the time, there was um, Claudius Caesar and he, he, he dictated that the Jews were no longer to meet, because in those meetings, their disturbances were getting so great over the arguments over Christ. So he actually said, "No longer you can no longer meet, because they're, they are causing this scene. The, the, all these Jews were to mass together, start arguing and fighting over." the ideas of Christ the concepts of Christ and the Roman government said no more not only that but he said you have to leave you have to leave Rome so this is kind of painting a picture of what the uh, believers that he's writing to are dealing with and Rome itself we found a really good excerpt, uh, excerpt about what was the daily life was like in Rome, and Alicia was going to share that.
2: Yeah. Um, just to give you, just I mean, just close your eyes and just kind of picture this as, as a setting of what was happening there. So it says, daily life in Rome could be luxurious for the wealthy, but onerous for others. Multiple aqueducts and a huge sewer system provided for the immense water requirements of Rome, including the many bathhouses, fountains, and latrines. Food had to be imported to satisfy the needs of this thriving metropolis, and the emperor often directly oversaw the vital grain supply. Luxury villas in Rome were the privileged possessions of the wealthiest families, often of senatorial or equestrian rank, and especially of the emperors. But most of the housing in ancient Rome considered, consisted of insulae, which was multi-story apartment buildings often, construction, often constructed above first floor shops. So contemporary authors spoke of a severely overcrowded, loud, smelly city, a place that provided every virtue and vice known to mankind. The residents of Rome were mostly pagan, and although a sizable Jewish population also existed, um, it was mostly pagan. So if you can imagine, and because they were pagan, we were doing some more research, and it really reminded me of what I saw over in India. So if you think back, you close your eyes, and not only is this cesspool of a city, so you have rich and you have extremely poor and you have sin and every vice being consumed on both sides of rich and poor and then you have these statues and these monuments and these places of worship to all of these false gods and idols. So it kind of puts you in that setting of what the church in Rome were up against and what they were surrounded by. In India, when we went, as you're driving, you see these monumental statues and these false gods. They're, they're monkey gods, they're whatever gods they were, and just this huge statue of it on the outside, and just the feeling of it um, in the spiritual sense as well as the physical sense, because it's just so wrong. So to be surrounded by that, along with everything else. Right. Now I know why Paul wasn't in such a hurry to get there. <laughs>
0: Well, Paul Paul actually tells us uh, later on in the book why he wasn't in that big of a hurry in uh, chapter fifteen. We're gonna we're gonna be a little ways before we get to chapter fifteen, so yeah, it won't it won't be a mystery for long. But I want to go ahead and turn to Acts eighteen because here at the beginning of Acts eighteen, uh, chapter we'll start with verse two. It says. There he became acquainted with the Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, and they were tent makers just as he was. So this confirms the questionable edict Because there are some some historians say that Claudius just said you can't meet. Some historians say, no, Claudius submitted this edict that they had to leave Rome. So we're going to believe what the the Bible says that in Acts, he met met them, he met Priscilla and Aquila because they were deported from Rome by Claudius. He's mentioned by name in Scripture. So that confirms that that's the treatment of the Jews. That's what they're dealing with um, from their government and who they are as a people. And there's not any structure um, noted in any historical documents um, that's that's holding these synagogues together. There's no hierarchy. They're all multiple. there There are units. There are individual units that are operating with the idea that they're all one. They have this concept of unity, like we have a concept of unity, but we're operating as a, as a, as a unit ourselves here in Global River Church. But we, are, we feel united with our brothers and sisters, but our, higher, our, our, our leadership structure doesn't necessarily tie into the other bodies here in Wilmington, but we consider ourselves united. So it's a similar situation, um, with the synagogues at the time, there's not really any leadership that's, that's driving the whole body, but they're hearing about Christ, they're coming to know him and believe, they're believing the stories that they're hearing on faith alone. They don't have someone who met Jesus, they don't have someone who had, had a firsthand encounter with him, all they have is what this secondhand knowledge is being brought to them, so by faith alone, the Christian church was born in Rome. Now, Paul has to send them a letter because because of that, because they, they do need all of us we need instruction. we need to have some Foundation And our foundation is in the word. It's in the letters that Paul wrote. He wrote more than half of the New Testament. So most of our concepts of how to interpret what Jesus did were based on those letters. So this is now their first letter. And he has to lay out his whole message. So when you start reading it, it's really, it's... Like I said, there was freedom when I read it. But go ahead. I
2: was going to say, and he has to lay out his whole message because as we dive into scripture, what he has come to understand is that they've been hearing through the means of travel. They've been hearing supposedly what Paul is preaching, and it's getting very twisted. And so, of course, the enemy's getting in there, and it's turning it upside down. So they're gleaning what they believe is being preached by Paul, and it's not biblical. It's not sound doctrine. And so he's really having to lay out his 25 years in this one letter because he also doesn't know if he's going to get to Rome. He wants to, but he doesn't know if he's going to get there. So he has to make sure that he can give them everything that they need in case he never makes it there.
0: Right. So in the book, in the book of Romans, it, he has to structure this book in a way. It, it's really, I I really like how he structures it because he structured this letter the way I like to explain things. Where you're taking someone on a mental journey to reach a destination. But you have to start, because you can't just say, well, this is the truth. Some people, they they can't connect the dots from where they're at to where they're going. So you have to say, okay, let's start here. Now you start explaining this scenario. Okay, I understand that. Okay, well, let's... Take to the next step. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Why? So he has this progression of knowledge and direction in his message to reach the final final step of the future glory. Um, Just listen to some of these headings. Um, He starts off with God's good news, God's anger at sin, God's judgment of sin. So right now he's starting off in the human condition is what I'd call it and what a lot of people call it, the human condition, um, which the human condition is a—it's basically all the characteristics and key events that compose of essential human existence. That's what the human condition is. A lot of times it's used in, in conversations such as the meaning of life or moral concerns. Um, here's a definition of the human condition, what it means to be human, the experiences, the characteristics, the limitations of life shared by all humans as opposed to other life forms. So he really goes in, starts off with the human condition. Look, this is something we can all agree on. We can all see happening around us. And then he goes into the Jews and the law. And then he goes in, God's. God remains faithful, even though obviously the Jews are struggling with upholding the law, they still have to make sacrifices every year because the law hasn't, re- there's no righteousness in it. So God remains faithful through that. All people are sinners. And then Christ took our punishment. Faith of Abraham. Faith brings joy. Adam and Christ contrasted. Sins, power is broken. So there's, you start with the human condition and then you see the actual solution to the human condition and then you see the actual victory over the human condition Sin's power is broken no longer bound to the law struggling with sin life in the spirit the future glory nothing can separate us from god now we're we're seeing the true identity so we see what the human condition is we see what the solution to the problem is and then we see what we gain from it. So he's, he has systematically brought us to this point where we can receive the good news God's selection of Israel, Israel's unbelief, salvation is for everyone, God's mercy on Israel. Now we start seeing God's love and salvation, and, and God's mercy is for everyone. The living sacrifice to God, respect of authorities. Um, Love fulfills God's requirements. Living to please others. So, we see there's a progression. He wrote this very, very, he, very methodical um, on how he wrote this letter.
2: And Daniel sees this book, and he says it's the book of freedom. And the other part that I love about this book is that it, it really highlights God. God. He uses God. And when you go back and you look at what form of God, it's Father God. He uses Father God more in the book of Romans than he does in any other book. So we, I want you to think of that as we start that this is Father God from beginning to end in this book of Romans. He is Father all the way through so that we can glean it through that lens. And what I also love about this book is that we have to remember that this is not a performance-based gospel. This is not a works-based gospel. You cannot perform your way into the kingdom. And I think that sometimes when we get caught up in ministry and caught up in the kingdom without realizing it we can lose that passion and lose that relationship and it can turn into works and performance and so I believe that for some of us that have been walking this road for a long time this is a book that will free you from that if you get caught up in it or if you see a brother and sister that's caught up in it you can you can go to Romans and be reminded that this is not a performance-based gospel.
0: Yeah, Bishop.
3: Because of, because of folks that are home, I want to comment on what you said about the methodical way the book was written. And I also want to remind the church that the Bible is r- inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the methodical pattern that you see in the book of Romans was inspired by the Holy Spirit, even though Paul was the one that penned it. The Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I just wanted to add that.
0: Yes, thank you. So
2: good, yes, so good. Yes, especially because some people say they only believe what Jesus said, and that's not right. (laughs) The whole book is the word of God, the whole book, not just the red letters. So um where
0: was I? Yes, Doug.
4: I don't know, this is kinda of bothering me. Uh talking about glean. Now glean is where they go on the outer skirts of the field, right?
0: It's yes. Well it's where you are taking the remnant, you're picking up the dropped pieces, you're it's things that were let go others it was a, it was something where maybe it wasn't the intended source but it came along with it so we're gleaning information so it, it like, not getting the meat no while you're getting, getting the, meat. the scraps no you're getting all of it, it oh, you yeah. might you might miss something i might miss something i'm going after the meat i'm trying to get through this and i'm trying to exp- share it with you no, all I'm the, all try, the, all the, the, the main themes, that. but you're going to be able to glean those scraps along the, with it.
4: Where I'm getting gleaned from is when Ruth, you know, when you preached on or teached on Ruth. Yes. How Boaz told the people, whatever, let her to glean. Yes. Right? The outer skirts of the field. Yes. That's where I'm trying to come from. Is that basically the same thing or is
0: this a different glean? It's the same word, but we're using it to describe a process of gaining things that maybe not were intended. Okay, we, we, have, a, we have a focus, we have a source, we have a book, we're going to go through this, meat and potatoes, black and white. But there's going to be little bits and pieces that we're going to be able to glean from it that maybe were not the intended goal.
4: Okay. Well, you know I'm hungry and thirsty
0: the truth that's right so you're going to be able to gain more than what we have to offer
2: and when boaz had ruth glean from the outskirts it didn't mean that she was just picking little pieces it was to take all of it from the outside so the location of the gleaning is different from the gleaning does that make sense okay
1: Yes, it was.
2: Yes. 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 Yeah, thank
0: you. So the book of Romans has had a very powerful history. Mm-hmm. Um, not only the message to the Romans themselves, and I'm sure that they were very grateful to receive a letter from this, this Paul, this apostle that they've been hearing about, but throughout history, the book of Romans was very impactful. Um, there's a commentary by David Guzik, who says the in August 1513 Martin Luther was in turmoil. He was he was studying and preaching on Psalms 31, where it says, "In thy righteousness deliver me," and it confused him. How does God's righteousness do anything but to condemn him to hell for as righteous punishment for his sin? He couldn't understand it. And then he kept, then he got to Romans 1, It says the righteousness of God is revealed through faith, for faith as it is written. He who through faith is righteous shall live. So he pondered this um, night and day. He says, I pondered until I grasped the truth that righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. So Martin Luther was born again, and the Reformation began in his heart. So the book of Romans created the heart posture needed for the Protestant Reformation, which is a huge shift in understanding the true word of God and making it available to all people.
2: I feel Holy Spirit wants me to read about Augustine. So in the summer of 386, a young man wept in the backyard of a friend, and he knew that his life of sin and rebellion against God left him empty and feeling dead, but he just couldn't find the strength to make a final, real decision for Jesus Christ. And as he sat, he heard children playing a game, and they called out to each other these words, take up and read, take up and read. Thinking God had a message to him in the words of the children, he picked up a scroll lying nearby and began to read, and it read, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, which is Romans thirteen thirteen b through 14. He didn't read any further. He didn't have to. Through the power of God's word, Augustine gained the faith to give his life to Jesus Christ at that moment. John Wesley. So,
0: in 1738, a failed minister, a missionary reluctant, uh, went to a small Bible study where someone was reading aloud the Martin Luther's commentary on Romans as the failed missionary said later, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to I'm getting chills just reading this. Yeah, I'm getting, assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine and John Wesley was saved that night in London. So it started the, the Wesleyan revival was the book of Romans. Um, so here's, uh, here's a few more uh, testimonies quick. John Calvin ha- said the book of Romans, when anyone understands this epistle, he has a passage open to him to the understanding of the whole scripture. So it's like a doorway into understanding all of God's word. Um, Samuel Coolidge said that, um, he was an English poet and, and literary critic, said, Paul's letter in the Romans is the most profound work in existence.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I want to read this one. Okay. Yes, okay. Um. I love this. It says, and you should also remember that Apostle Peter's words about Paul's letters. Also, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, and which are some things hard to understand, which is 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16. And he goes on to say, the book of Romans has a life-changing truth, but it must be approached with effort and determination to understand what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul.
0: So that needs to be the motto for the next eight weeks, is that the book of Romans has life-changing truth, but it must be approached with effort, determination, to understand what the Holy Spirit said. John, in the back. Can we have the microphone so? Yeah. Oh, Pastor
2: Tom's Thank, you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor.
3: Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Tom. Okay, this is Romans 8. I got a couple of scriptures here, um, a couple of verses. Um, it says, uh, free from indwelling sin. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who t- do not walk according to the flesh, What I love about this, it says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Freedom. Right? So when That's you're in freedom. Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. That's the first part of that. That's but there's freedom. the second part of that. That's right. God takes the righteousness out of the law, and he fulfills us with it. So Amen. there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he takes the righteousness out of the law. He takes the Old Testament, the law, he takes, and the law of sin and death. He takes the righteousness out of the law the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments, okay, takes the righteousness out of the law, and Amen. then he fulfills us with it.
0: That's right. So he makes us righteous. Amen. Phil, Philip,
5: I just wanted to comment on what Alicia was saying about the uh, the last book of Peter, First Peter. Uh, so I know some people have kind of said that the writings of Paul supersede everything the other apostles and Jesus said because they're kind of teaching that Paul was the grace preacher, but everybody else was still confused about the law and things like that. But I just wanted to um, comment that anytime there's a teaching like that, it's incorrect because Jesus and all the other apostles believed in that grace, and the, uh, they believed in believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. You, you'll find it like in Luke 9. It talks about if anybody's ashamed to confess me, I'll be ashamed of them and in John 3 16 it says if you believe in your heart you'll be saved so all the teachings that Paul had were very much in consistency with what the church was teaching in Jerusalem but if anybody ever tried to say that Paul and the Apostles were out of um, out of alignment uh, those people were twisting what was being said by the Apostles.
0: And it's my opinion that they're actually approaching it from a human mindset. So they, from, the, from the world perspective, you cannot understand the things of the Spirit. So they're already in confusion. If you approach it with the Holy Spirit, if you approach it from the Spirit, you'll understand the things of the Spirit. Specifically, that's how you stay out of that confusion.
6: Yeah, the, uh, Judaizers, the Judaizers try to discur- discredit Paul. And Peter, in his statement there, says, no. It may be difficult, but he's correct. Yep. So
0: they stand together. Thank you for turning on the air conditioner. Okay, so I think we've set the stage to receive what this letter is really all about. Um, So it's going to start off, let's see, i got to... I'm not going to read the whole intro from the Passion. It's so long.
2: I just okay. So since we're not going to read all of it, just want to encourage you: if you get a chance to read the introduction in the Passion translation to Romans, please read it. You can find it online. Uh, it's delicious. <laughs> all right, Seriously maybe we'll read delicious. some of it.
0: The letter, okay, so it starts off with the opening, and then it goes into the human condition, like we talked about, and then it talks about the gospel solution, and then it goes into the gospel of freedom, the gospel and Israel, the gospel and our new life, and then it goes into closing. So that's kind of the outline of um, the book. Uh, which part of the uh, introduction were you really excited about? Well, okay, let me just skim through the major themes first, which is the gospel, the salvation, the love of God, justification, righteousness of God, the law, the flesh versus the spirit, the destiny of Israel. So, those are the major themes of the whole book. So, you can skip that part.
2: Gird your loins, because this is really good. All right. So, what you are about to read is a 2,000-year-old letter penned by the Apostle Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit. You will be stirred, challenged, perhaps even corrected as you read this enlightening letter. Paul's gospel was the gospel of grace and glory. When you receive the grace of God by faith, righteousness is birthed within your life. The love of God is so rich that it leaves our hearts full of heaven. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he pours his Holy Spirit into our hearts until every sense of abandonment leaves us. We become children of God, sons and daughters of glory who follow the lamb. Do you want to be enriched and discover the heavenly treasures of faith, grace, true righteousness and power? Then plug into the book of Romans and you'll never feel the same again. Truth always sets the heart free and nothing can free you more than the truth found in Romans. Amen. Grace and glory are waiting for you to unwrap and make your own. Live in the truths of Romans and watch how God's love sets you free. Yeah, amen. Can we say an amen after that? It's so good. <laughs>
0: All right. Thank you for only reading one page. You're welcome. With that said, let's go ahead and dive into Romans. Um, So, Romans chapter 1, verse 1.
2: From passion or from yours? All right. From passion. So, oh, this is um, MLT version. Oh. So, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle and sent out to preach his good news. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into King David's family line and he was shown to be the Son of God, when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And through Christ, God gave us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell Gentiles everywhere what God has done for them, so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. And you are included among those Gentiles who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. I am writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be his own holy people. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace.
0: So he starts off and he's, a, he's appealing really to the, the ones that are leaders, the ones who have been in the Jewish faith. Because they're going to they're gonna hold on to the, to the Bible. They're going to be the access to God's word. And so he's, he starts off and he starts talking about the prophets in the holy scriptures. He starts, he starts explaining the, the places in prophecy that were being fulfilled. He starts using terminologies that they're familiar with. And he, he's, he's, he's painting a picture already to soften the hearts of the leaders of the Jewish community. The, the, new, the new Christian community.
2: Verse 8. Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. And one of the things that I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes the Jew first and also the Gentile.
0: So why would he be, why would anyone be ashamed of the good news? Anybody think of a reason why he was specifically saying, I am not ashamed of the good news? Corey? Corey? Here, let Pastor bring a mic for you.
1: The way the Christians were viewed in Rome, just like just like today, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy times, just like back in Rome. I would say it's kind of you know it was kind of kind of crazy there too. So. Right. I so know, it's I like guess general population status quo for general population wasn't Christianity, you know, right. or. Or the way they were living wasn't lining up with it, so you know.
0: Right. It could mean death, and that would be fearful. But being ashamed of of the gospel, I think, would be more in line with our faith. We have faith. I personally, this is. I'm only holding myself to this accountable. This is only my faith, my faith alone. And generally, I would keep this between me and God. But right now, in his teaching moment. I want to share with you something that may, some people may be ashamed to portray in public. I believe I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, and I do not need this mask. Okay, that's my faith. that's me. I'm not going to hold anybody else accountable to that, but between me and God, and I'm not ashamed to say that to anyone who asks me why I'm not wearing a mask. But some people might fear that confrontation, might feel shame in their faith, might feel like, oh, they're going to judge me because of my belief is different for them. Um, So there's an instance where I'm not ashamed of my faith. Yes? Uh, For me,
6: as a very young Christian, my first real uh, trial, if you were, was shame. Uh, shame is the fear of others, and I really had to cry out to mm-hmm. God to deliver me from the fear of man. The way it always seemed to express itself is with the gospel because when you share the gospel. You come face to face with shame. For me, I was in a city called Campbell, just walking the street, passed by a man, and the spirit gave me that little nudge, said, go talk to him. Well, that's when shame immediately hit. It's, it's, a, it's a temptation by the enemy. He knows your weakness. Hmm. He knows you want to be approved and accepted by other people. You don't want to rock the boat. So, he brings that shame to your heart. Well, I just passed the man by. And the next thing I knew, I didn't hear God speak so clearly. Instead, I heard him speak a little softer, saying, go talk to the man, Daniel. And I continued to walk until I was a block away from the man. He had told me three times. And then I realized my disobedience to sharing that gospel with that man is causing my ear to close up to the word of the Lord. So, finally, I said, okay, Lord, if he's still there somewhere, I'll go talk to him. So, I, I went back, talked to the man to share with him the gospel, and that obedience broke the fear off. Amen. And the man said, you're the third person today to talk to me about this, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, Wow. I never would have experienced any of this if I would just continued going on my way and not obeying the Lord, which is what conquers the fear, which is what removes the shame. Amen. And I've had many experiences with dealing with shame and getting over that because the enemy does not want you to share the good news with others because the gospel is the power of God to salvation.
0: Amen. That's the truth. Amen, Thank, Thank you, you Daniel. Ron? and get Ron
6: here. So I know when I first got saved and started sharing with people, a lot of what I heard was, well, God or religion is nothing but a crutch. It's only for those who aren't strong enough. They're just showing their weakness that they can't do it on their own, and God is just a crutch.
0: Yeah. What I've, what I've come to think in that is to say, well, if it's so easy, then why don't you do it? And you see how difficult it is to let go of that personal pride, that personal uh, sense of accomplishment or power. You can't relinquish it. It's di- it's one of the most difficult things I have ever done is to release that power. So for someone to say it's a crutch, it's for the weak. They have no icon- They are they are believing a lie from the enemy, because it was the most difficult and life changing thing that I experienced. Go ahead, Doug, real
4: quick. Yeah, uh, in my process of uh, becoming the man that I am today, <clears throat> the words that I use when people approach me and they ask me, how are you doing today? I say, I am extremely blessed and I am highly favored. That all started in prison when the guards would ask me, how are you doing today, Mr. Henry? You know, and then um, I get out here in society, and I get this counselor, and she tells me you need to you need to quit saying that, you need you need to start saying something else. And I said, what are you talking about? She said because I, I'm I'm getting tired of hearing that. I said, well, you know what? You're extremely blessed and highly favored, also. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: Because I am
4: extremely blessed (laughs) and highly favored. We all are.
0: Amen. We all are. Yes, sir. Amen. Uh, Real quick, uh, one more from Corey, and then we got to
1: get moving in the word here. Just to touch on on what you were talking about from the world, like a world standpoint, it looks weak because I'll catch guys at work, you know, and, and it's an act of service. And they'll take that kindness for weakness. Like, if you go the extra mile to to pick up trash on a job site, if you're like, hey, man, let me help you with that. And then it's like the next go around, they just toss it on you. You know what I mean? Oh, I can just let him do that. or I can just let him. So to the world, it looks looks weak. But really, the challenges in it and the strength that you gain is just massive, you know, internally and externally, you know, because the world's going to put it on you. Like, the the, the deeper you go in your Christian walk, the more you're going to get. The weight of the world is going to weigh on you, you know, because and people are going to see that as weakness, but really it's just just your strength growing. So just right. take take joy in it. There we see
0: the dichotomy: the the things of the world versus the things of the spirit. Totally confusing to each other. So all right, let's. Another reason why he
2: was ashamed because they were twisting. All right, so something else as to why he was not ashamed of the gospel is because remember how I said that in Rome they were receiving Paul's teaching and it was getting turned upside down from the enemy so they were receiving the wrong information? So they were behaving in a way that caused everybody else to scoff at their God.
0: We'll get there. We haven't got to that part yet. Oh,
2: we
0: haven't? No. no, we haven't got to but that
2: part yet. But it's all a part of that. It is, so, but we, right. want,
0: we want to <laughs> save that.
2: Like, it's so important. Okay, it's so good, because we see that today a lot. That's where we were, 16,
0: so 17.
2: Okay. So, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Start to finish by faith. Faith. It's the currency of heaven. It is the most important thing that we have. And as the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life.
0: And the reformation was born. Yes. All right. (laughs) 18.
2: And the headline of this one is God's anger at sin. But Father God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God yes they knew god but they wouldn't worship him as god or even give him thanks and they began to think up foolish ideas of what god was like and as a result their minds became dark and confused claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools and instead of worshiping this glorious ever-living god they worshiped idols made to look like mere people birds animals and reptiles
0: so he's he's explaining to them this culture that they are living in they're they are, they are in, inundated by these people around them who who are worshipping whatever god they wanted at the time there were temples of all kinds worshipping all kinds of deities people animals spirits of this and that so so these people were refusing to see the magnificence of God, the true creator, and instead creating these contraptions of their own liking so that it would promote or facilitate their own desires in their own life.
2: Amen. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. AND THE MEN, INSTEAD OF HAVING NORMAL SEXUAL RELATIONS WITH WOMEN, BURNED WITH LUST FOR EACH OTHER. MEN DID SHAMEFUL THINGS WITH OTHER MEN, AND AS A RESULT OF THIS SIN, THEY SUFFERED WITHIN THEMSELVES THE PENALTY THEY DESERVED.
0: SO HE'S GIVING THEM A CONTRAST. THEY, he see, they SEE THESE PEOPLE IN SOCIETY. THEY SEE A SOCIETY THAT, A PLACE THAT PROVIDED EVERY VIRTUE AND VICE KNOWN TO MANKIND. AND THEY SEE THESE PEOPLE excited about life and full of energy and they're happy with themselves and they're doing these debaucherous things and they're they're free to to act out any lust that they have that they want they have places to submit to all forms of sin so they're seeing them and he's explaining to them look this is what they're doing but they are suffering within themselves You don't see it, but they're destroying themselves on the inside. And it's not going to be until later on that you're going to see that destruction. So he's trying to warn them, look, you might see these people, you might see the freedom that they have, but this is the true damage is done within them. And and so he's he's, really a warning to, to to, to how to interpret this freedom that they see around them.
2: It's the first thing when you go out to do ministry or that the Holy Spirit leads you to somebody living this lifestyle. The first thing, you can't even minister to them unless they break from the facade that they're super happy and enjoying the life that they're living. That's the first thing that has to break for Holy Spirit to be able to work. If they don't drop that, you're wasting your time. It's not going to get passed. So that's what this reminds me of today as we go out and we minister on um, these people. They act like they don't want to change, that they're super happy and, and they are living it up. This is the way life should be, and yet they're dying on the inside and they're miserable. So it's just it's a way that we can, anyway, yeah. It's powerful to use that today. Um, where was I? I Oh, of course, just going up to them is, yes, planting the seed. Yes. yes. And so God, seed he all brings all the, the increase. Yes, We throw
0: seed on the ground. We throw seed on the walkway. We throw everywhere. seed everywhere.
2: And it's, yes, and he, yeah, bring the increase. Just make
0: a comment. The,
6: uh, the Roman bathhouses, if you've ever seen what's been written on the, the pictures on the wall, it was all sorts of debauchery. So what Paul's describing to them, they would have been very much aware of.
2: So since they thought it foolish, we're on verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, they are haters of God, they are insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, they're heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die and yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too.
0: So here he's, he says, God abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should never have done. So he's talking to a, a people who have always known God and they have known God to bless them and they have known God to punish them. They have seen for centuries what happens when you're not in God's favor and when you are in God's favor? When, what happens when, and how many times through the book of Judges were they in, was the, the Israelites enslaved because they walked away from God? They had to turn back to God, and then God blessed them. So their relationship with God is serving, blessing, not serving, slavery, serving, blessing. So that, that's their concept, and they're like, well, why is this Roman people, these Gentiles, why are they flourishing? Why are they so rich? Why do they have all these things? Why is there so much power? Why are they so, they're outside of God. Why isn't God punishing them? Why, is, why, why are they being blessed? If they're not being blessed. God has just let them, he has abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that they should never have done. So he, he's trying to, Philip? I was going to say,
5: it seems like he's giving an argument why the church should not be ashamed, because he's, he's showing them everything that the other people should be ashamed of, and why he's not ashamed of what
0: he's doing. Right. Go ahead.
2: Chapter 2, God's Judgment of Sin. So you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse... When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish the one who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? And can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Let's
0: just stop there for now. So he's talking... um... He's, he's basically saying, you're no better than them. He's, he's telling them, stop holding yourself to some. It, it's arrogance, is really what it is. It's arrogance, self-righteousness. All, pe- all, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And they're holding themselves up saying, oh, I'm so much better than these people all around me. I'm holier than thou. I'm, I follow this law. I'm, but they have sinned. They still sin. They don't see the sin that they do. Maybe they're blinded to it because of their self-righteousness, because of their arrogance. And he's warning them, saying, why? Why are you holding yourself higher than these people? All of you are sinners. Stop judging them. God is going to judge everyone, and everyone's going to fall short. So he's setting a stage for why Christ... His blood had to be shed. So he's, he's, not, he's not saying that there's no hope for them, that they're sinners and they're all going to get judged. He's setting the stage. He's working this, like we were saying, systematically. We're going to reach the next step, probably not tonight because it's almost 8 o'clock. The next step after we describe this human condition that we're not any better than anyone else out here. There is no partiality in God. But we've accepted something that sets us apart in judgment. It doesn't set us apart from God's love right now. It doesn't make us any better than anyone else right now. But we've accepted something that's going to allow us to be judged righteous in the end. And that is a good hope. That is something... that we all need to be excited about and we need to make sure that we share that hope with everyone else around us because they are no worse off than we are but we have the key we have the key we are just as broken and and dealing with sinful natures as those who have without Christ but we have the key that's what sets us apart it's not that we're any better it's not that they're any worse It's that we have the key and we want to share that key. So, I don't know that we're going to have much time to go back into it. We'll we'll go back into that next week. I think that's a good place for us to go ahead and, unless you have something real quick to share.
2: It is, I do. Really. So, this attitude that we see of how dare you judge them when you're doing the same things yourself, we see that so much still today. Um, It's that religious spirit, um, and it's what kept me. From God for a long time, I was uh, introduced to a Baptist church and I was surrounded by people that behaved one way within the church walls in a very different way outside of the church walls and because I came from a divorced family a very my family's <laughs> very modern um, <laughs> I was treated like an outcast all the time. I was never welcomed. And these people that I went to Bible school with, they totally ignored me at school and they snubbed their nose up at me. And, and it kept me from the Lord for a long time. So one of the things that the Lord is really, and Daniel has his own testimony of the Jehovah Witness so that same sort of religious "My way is right, but yet you've got a clock, the way that you're behaving is filled with sin. So one of the things the Lord has really called us is to be extremely transparent. We are this all the time, and we have been from the beginning. And what I have noticed is the longer I'm in church, the, long, the more I realize how much this is still in mindsets here today. People think that you are one way in church and another outside of these walls. They just automatically assume that. So I just feel like it's something that we need to be aware of so that if you get a chance to maybe be more transparent, like when people ask me how I'm doing, I ask them, do you really want to know? Are you just being cordial? Do you really want to know? Because today I'm not so good. Today sucks, actually. And so I just feel like Now more than ever, we need to be transparent. And I was talking with somebody here recently, and the Lord had, they were so afraid of judgment within the church walls for that same mindset. It's still very much in our world. So I just want to encourage all of us to be as transparent as we can and to give grace to those that think that we are one way outside, because it don't matter. Fear of man doesn't matter. (laughs) So I just felt like I was supposed to share that.
0: And also transparency fosters fellowship. If you, if you have things that you're not prepared to show to people, you're going, you're going to shy away from true fellowship, true biblical fellowship where iron is sharpening iron, where your faith is going to grow. These relationships that we all need for a solid foundation fellowship is key to a solid foundation in Christ because you have to have something someone here that you're accountable to not only so that they can see that, that there is there, there is no darkness hidden in you that the light is really shining in all the little cracks and crevices it's going to it's and it's it's a freeing experience to be able to say anyone in this room come on over to my house and let's go have a meal together you're going to see you're not, there's not going to be anything there. I'm, there's nothing. That I'm going to have to do extra or different because you're around. You know, you get to just see me the same as you see me here. Oh, it's, so, it's it free, so it's funny. freeing. It's something that we yes. all need to seek after in fellowship is transparency.
2: Yes. And that doesn't mean sharing all. I feel like this is important. You don't, important, need to is is you don't <laughs> have to throw sh- up on that. That doesn't mean sharing everything, especially if you're going through a journey. It's what, Pastor Bishop, I love how you said that when you said that you don't share, you share certain things with people with like faith because you need to surround yourself with people that are going to keep you in the heavenly realm and not drag you down. So there's a, there's a difference between protecting your anointing, protecting and guarding what journey you're going through and being transparent. Those are two different things, and I, I feel like I need to clarify that.
5: Amen.
0: All right, well... That's what we have for tonight, so we yeah. thank you guys. Oh, wait, it's hold on. One, this one, gentleman one has one more question. Daniel, and, or, then, and then we'll close yes, in prayer.
2: Daniel, sir.
6: My name's Daniel. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to share one thing. Um, it really is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. But what the Lord has showed me and taught me in evangelizing and witnessing to others, especially here in this country. The lost do not know they are lost. They don't see nothing to repent of because they don't know they're lost. And this whole book of Romans in chapters 1, 2, and 3, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Those first three chapters are leading up and showing that all have sinned. Both the Jew and the Greek have sinned and that none of us are any better than any others. So in actually experiencing that, I, you know, one story comes out real quick that I remember. I was witnessing to a young man and his girlfriend and I just said, well, you know... Uh, if you die today, do you think you're going to go to heaven? He goes, Yeah. I said, Why? He said, Because I'm good. And a lot of people think they're good enough to go to heaven. And so I just said, Let me just ask a few questions. One question was the key question, believe it or not. I said, Do you know if you lust after a woman, you've committed sin? And I shared with him, I know I've lusted before. And so I said to the young man, well, have you ever lusted after a woman? And he says, no, I haven't. And his girlfriend piped up and said, you liar, you've been lusting after me. And uh, believe it or not, that showed him that he was a sinner. And he gave his life to Christ. Amen. He needed to know he that he to was lost. To him. Yeah. And then I was able to say... Uh, The Bible shows you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life. Can I just briefly share with you the good news that Jesus died for you to take away all your sins? And after that, he said the prayer. His girlfriend was there with me, and we all prayed, and he received Jesus into his heart. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord.
2: Thank you. All right. You ready to pray us out? Ooh, everybody stand up with me for a minute. <sighs> you beautiful people, you. Can we just lift up the name of Jesus tonight? Hmm. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus.
0: Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
2: Yes. Jesus, you are the reason we are here. Yes. Yes. So we praise you. Yes, we praise you. The name above every other name. So Lord, we just thank you. And we just pray for the glory to follow us out tonight. And that we praise you and we lift your name on high in everything that we do. Amen. Amen.